So you're listening to Ergo, right? But you want Ergo and all your other podcasts to sound good. That's why you should be listening on Overcast. Overcast is a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Education. Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. Ah, I'm excited. It feels good to be back talking into a mic. We, uh, we, we left you for a little while, but we are here. I'm Kiss. I am Dame, and we apologize for not leaving behind a dope beat to step to. But we are back <laughs> and ready to do this. <laughs> we, left, we left behind some mid-beats to step yeah, to. Yeah. No, we needed the dope beats. <laughs> uh, after, uh, after a couple-week break, we are back, and we're excited to share with you a little bit about what we're going to be doing over the next few months, uh, launching today. So... If you don't know, what we did in July was we built a suite of episodes around abolition. Um, Unlike our regular episodes, which were just a different guest each week, this also had a different guest each week, but it it was really fleshing out the concept of abolition, uh, what that has meant, what that can mean for our futures. It was really cool to kind of have a little bit more of a focus, and we decided to keep that going. So each month for the next as long as we decide to do it, uh, we'll be building these different suites uh, around different themes, ideas, uh, pieces of our movement toward a more liberatory future. What's our uh, What's our first month, Dame? Oh uh, man, we we got We got to build up the people. So as you saw by what you clicked on, we are having an education suite, and it couldn't be sweeter because we have with <laughs> us our fave, the the one and only. We, we love her dearly. Um, she's the go to on almost everything we think of. And so we try to like organize our ask very poignantly. Um, And she is certainly the go-to when we want to talk about education and how we want to have these conversations with some amazing folks. Everybody we have back with us, the one and only Eve Ewing. I just did my own air horns. Finally, someone stepped into that role. Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so good to be with you all. So, uh, you know, you for, uh, first of all, thank you for those very kind accolades. But you forgot to say the most important thing about me, which is, to my knowledge, am I still the record holder for longest ergo episode? Mm. Mm. I, I, am I the longest winded guest? Did Dave Stovall finally no. outshine? I mean, so your top five. We had to cut an episode into two. We were mm. out in California oh, wow. in Benjamin Earl Turner's garage oh, studio. And yeah, we we kind of we marathon that one. We might have went over three hours with with, with Benjamin. Wow, yeah. wow! So what you're saying is I got to go to Cali and fight Benjamin Earl Turner, <laughs> which you know, as long as it's not a rap battle, he's a very good rapper. Very so good rap I'm just gonna not rap battle him, but maybe we can fight in like Super Smash. We'll Brothers. do the and we'll do the we'll do the commentary. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah. great. <laughs> what a match! Okay, up. I can't be mad, but as long as I'm still in the top five, most long absolutely. Guests, oh, oh no! In every list that we have, you are top five that's great that's even the great. Sli- even you. the slightly passive aggressive ones even the terrible list. i know that i know that uh that your homie and mine nate marshall is probably still most most mentioned oh uh, that might have uh, changed that might have shifted over time he's top Mir- five miriam's top definitely five. most most mentioned oh this yeah you're you're mm. up there definitely in the top five i think you've been on the most except for maybe tasha this is my fourth time on the show yeah well we are so excited to have you here and we we shifted the we shifted the terrain a little bit for you you're not uh just the guest but for this month uh you are our 
co-curator for this education yes, suite. Yes, I've seized the power finally. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Really what's happened is that Damon and I have been picking and connecting with and booking guests for five years, and we are tired of coming up with people's names. So we are we're turning. trying to redistribute these means of production. There we go. Uh, so you have been helping us over the last couple of weeks think through who we'll be talking to over these next episodes in this education suite. But in addition to coming up with who we're talking to, we're also curious, you know, what ideas around this very broad theme of education you've been wrestling with and what you might want us to be asking uh, these brilliant people who are reshaping the world of education. Yeah. So I have um, a few things that I'm, that I'm really hoping that you all will be able to get in a conversation with, with this incredible suite of guests. Um, one is I uh, always begin my classes by talking to students about the difference between schooling and education mm -hmm. and reminding folks that education does not only happen in school spaces. And in fact, sometimes schools are profoundly counter-educational spaces. They're spaces that stymie and stifle education. And so I think that that distinction is really important. So I hope like I'm obsessed with schools. You all know I'm a schools person. I love talking about schools, thinking about schools. I think there's something psychologically wrong with me that I have like <laughs> never, I don't know that, that what it means that I like perpetually am obsessed with childhood and schools. But mm. I think, I you know, I hope that you will um, in these conversations, imagine and talk about what education looks like beyond schools um, and and to talk about what other kinds of meaningful and poignant educational experiences and organizing are happening outside of school spaces and if it's possible to bring some of that into school. So that's, that's one thing. Mm. Um, another thing, speaking of the phrase beyond schools, I have in recent years come to the conclusion that like, how can I put this? A, a lot of what we define as the field of education is uh, very narrow. Mm -hmm. And that as a result, there are issues that we count as being quote unquote education issues that are actually society issues. Mm -hmm. And we silo conversations about schools as being a separate thing in ways that make other people in power not accountable for the ways that they are creating harm that land in schools. So I'll mm -hmm. tell you more specifically what I mean. When you have a kid who comes to school and they live in a society where their parents do not have a job, where they do not have access to a basic income, where we don't have a basic social safety net, where we don't have ways of helping people access health care, access mental health care, treat depression, treat anxiety, treat PTSD, when we have unequal transportation systems that make it hard for people to get around, when we have environmental racism that make it hard for people to breathe, when we have housing inequality, right? All the other forms of harm and oppression that we see operating in society, all those things land on the backs of children. And so we have children coming in our school spaces who are bearing the brunt of the harm from every other system, mm. right? From mass incarceration to mental health care or lack thereof. And we then ask that kid to do a bunch of really constrained things. <laughs> and when they're not able to do those things, we punish them, we punish their teachers, and we punish their school leaders, right? So when you see a kid 
who, whatever, fails a standardized test, doesn't do well on a standardized test, the people who are being held accountable for that are the people most proximal to the kid, right? The teacher, the parent, the kid themselves, the principal. And we don't ask all those other people who are in charge of all those other systems to be responsible for that outcome. Mm -hmm. So we don't ask the person who, you know, cut the budget for the parent to get the mental health care that they needed to help them be on top of their P's and Q's to parent. We don't ask that person who made that budget decision to be accountable for that reading grade. And I think that's really messed up because I think that as our society has eroded so many of our, of our other public systems and social safety nets, which has never been more evident than it is during this pandemic, right? As we realize all the ways that the state has failed to meet its responsibilities, despite the affluence of the society. That, and has forfeited the responsibility of doing that. Not just has failed, yes. but has actively chosen, say, that's not my responsibility. Yeah. Right. Has abdicated that responsibility. Schools, as problematic as they are, remain one of our most robust public institutions. Mm-hmm. They're one of our most broad reaching public institutions because the premise of a public school is a kid shows up and that kid is guaranteed a place, right? And we have laws in place. So that is supposed to be true if you are undocumented. That is supposed to be true if you do not have parents in your life. That is supposed to be true um, if you do not have a secure or long-term place to live, right? There are not a lot of other institutions in our society that work that way right now. And so what it means is that schools end up bearing the brunt of a very heavy weight, which is the erosion of all of our other public systems. And yet we don't shift that accountability outward. So I've been thinking about this idea of what I'm calling like expanded accountability. Mm -hmm. Usually when people talk about quote unquote accountability in schools, what they mean is firing teachers if their test scores don't go up or giving teachers razors if their test scores do go up or shutting schools down, right? That's this very narrow idea of accountability. And I'm trying to push for this understanding of expanded accountability and how we understand how schools are actually part of an ecosystem of a failed society, of a society that is failing on an ongoing state. So that's a long-winded way of coming to my question, (laughs) which is, I think that all the guests are folks who are very attuned to the ways in which schools are not silos and schools are not operating in a vacuum. Education is not happening in a vacuum. And I would love to hear folks make those connections between schools and housing, schools and healthcare, schools and incarceration, right? And, you know, that last one is the one most people are familiar with. People talk about, you know, what they refer to as the school to prison pipeline. But I think that's illustrative of many other places where we need to be making those connections because when we make them, it helps us um, have a better idea of the battles that we're fighting and Mm -hmm. also have a better idea of what demands we need to be making. It's so powerful and illustrative to me right now that folks are fighting to get police out of schools, right? And that people are understanding the ways in which that is like part and parcel with this broader policing fight. And it helps illustrate the ways in which carceral logics and the logics of prisons and policing have infiltrated our schools. I don't actually use the phrase, I like many scholars, I don't use the phrase school to prison pipeline because it's not about two distinct places and Mm -hmm. kids being shuttled from one place to the next place, right? It's about how we put conditions in schools that tell kids that it's okay to be treated this way, to be put under surveillance this way. So anyway, that's There's a bunch of other pipelines. There's a bunch of other pipes. Right. It's not just one pipe. And yet again, (laughs) name me one good pipeline. (laughs) <laughs> you know the the pipeline in Super Mario Brothers that's is a, a great pipeline, pipeline, but that's the only only good pipeline. Ready. Other pipelines, Dakota Access Pipeline, that's trash, a, a school pipeline. prison pipeline, yeah, trash. Yeah. 
Super Mario Brothers pipeline, excellent. So I feel <laughs> um, like Willy Wonka might have had like a fire pipeline somewhere in there that he had some, probably, like, chocolate he's syrup a little bit of an abuser. Yeah, he's yeah, a little bit yeah, of like I'm not saying I'm not saying he I'm not saying he's someone we uplift. I'm just saying that his I feel like his like uh like infrastructure <laughs> game was very strong in that building. Anyway, you yeah. know, anytime we start being like the infrastructure, this that's what I thought. Person, oh no, but their infrastructure. I had the same you thought. Set yourself up. I did. Yeah, I, did. I did. I did that. My in, my but ancestors anyway, are ashamed. Yeah. I know. I wasn't gonna. You know. That, anyway, <laughs> the. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think I would love to hear folks. What if we look at that conversation about schools and carcerality as an exemplar? And what are the other conversations that people need to be having about schools and blank, right? Mm -hmm. Education and blank. Like, what are those other institutions that we need to be talking about those connections? And my last question that I would love to hear folks talk about is that I think um, our country is very presentist, has a very short memory (laughs) oftentimes. And um, I think that's particularly true in education where it's always like the reform du jour and people, especially people who themselves have very little experience working with young people are like, all we have to do is this and then we're going to do it and then it's going to work and then it's going to be fixed. Right. And that's like every five to 10 years that happens yeah. um, going back at the very least, most recent, like in the recent era to the 1983 report, a nation at risk uh, that came out under the Reagan administration that was like, our, you know, our nation is at risk. Our kids aren't learning. We need to fix our high schools. Kind of ushered in what we might consider the contemporary era of public school reform. You know, on this show and in my work, you know, something we all have in common is looking at history and seeing what we can learn from our history. And I would love to hear different guests talk about lessons from history that should come to bear on our conversations today about education or like maybe things that educational history can teach us that will give us lessons about other realms of, of, you know, liberation that we need to be thinking about. So like, what are, what's the the history facts that we need to know that we don't know? Those are, those are my questions. Yeah. One thing while we, while we have you real quick in this intro, one thing I would like to hear how you frame one of the things we've always attempted to do um, is archiving or, or creating a time capsule, right? And so in this time, late summer of 2020, the intersection of pandemic and global uprising is creating a lot of possibilities, right? And and I think it's making a lot of space for this conversation that we're trying to have. Um, so yeah. for folks right now listening or for folks in the future listening back, um, how do you, are you understanding the ways in which, like, on a physical level, the the way schools are organized being questioned. And then we are also in a time where, like, how government works and how institutions function in themselves are being questioned right. and looked at and critiqued. And then those two things are intersecting right now. Um, how do you feel that that can frame this conversation in ways that in other times would not have been as tangible or possible? That's such a good question. I think we're really at a crossroads with schooling because... One of the tensions that you already brought up, Dame, is that um, schools have the promise of being a liberatory space that in practice are are rarely liberatory and in fact are oppressive, right? And there's an argument to be made. I mean, the book, I'm, I'm working on a new book right now and of course. a lot of it is about- <laughs> Big surprise, yeah. <laughs> it's really also very depressing, very depressing book. Uh but a lot of it is about the histories. It's about it's a lot of it is historical. And um, there's an argument to be made that schooling like policing is rooted in such a corrupted foundation historically that it cannot be reformed. 
right? That is not an argument that I make for a wide variety of reasons. That's not where I am. But I have friends and colleagues that are in that place, right? Where they would say something like abolish schools. That's not something that I would probably ever say. Um, you just did. I did. You're going to We're going to remix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a new drop. We, we, we have our bumper, yeah. Our little promo clip. Dang it. <laughs> abolish schools. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is that the reason why that's attention is because uh, I think that there's a space of promise of both of those things. And I see in the moment of the pandemic, both of those impulses, like shooting off like plant growths or I don't know, spit whatever kind of metaphor you want to use. There's both of these offshoots happening where for some people, they're like, oh, this is a space to really reimagine what the fundamental goal of education is and to make more ways for kids to be free and to undo all of these kind of like arbitrary rules that come out of the industrial revolution that are very capitalist and very rigid. And so like, let's imagine it, let's build this unprecedented imaginative space. And then there's another branch that's happening at the same time, at the exact same time, which is like, everything is falling apart. We need to make sure that we have the absolute bare minimum of compliance that is necessary to uphold this unequal society. And we need to make sure we need to keep whatever structures in place that we possibly can just to triage and manage the total chaos. And also, at the same time, like part of the ecosystem of both of those things is that people are uh, sometimes for the first time becoming very aware of like all the other stuff that schools have been doing in terms of basic resource provision yeah. that is again, not done anywhere else in the state. So the, it, so the first thing is like, Oh snap, schools are closing. How are we going to feed kids? Right. That shouldn't have ever been a question. If we had a society that had a robust social safety net, like it happens, you know, through the legacy of the Panthers. And, and I think it's a beautiful and innovative thing that we feed kids through schools. But like, there's no reason like that there should be a hunger crisis that comes from schools closing. Nobody was like, oh, there's Target is closed. So now we're going to have a hunger crisis, right? Like ha schools have somehow become deputized as the institution that are the at the front line for all these this very basic resource provision. Mm. And so that's all happening in the background. And meanwhile, these two branches are happening at the same time. One is like, let's all be free and go outside, go on nature walks, explore and draw pictures of leaves. And then on the other hand, it's like, you're going to be on Zoom for 12 hours. You can't eat a snack, right? You can't walk away. I'm going to fail you if you know if you are not in attendance. Somebody I know was like, her son was 10 minutes late and got, you know, penalized. And she had to write the teacher and be like, he was walking the dog, <laughs> right? Like parents <laughs> having to advocate for like feeding their kids. And so both these things are happening at the same time. And they're totally predictably stratified by race and class. And so I think that that is um, really scary for me because on the one hand, that first group of people that the kids are wandering outside looking at leaves, um, I worry that they're not going to be sufficiently politically motivated to care about what's happening at the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. If they're like, wow, this is such an amazing time of freedom and exploration for my child, that they don't have a lot of motivation to pay attention to or be good allies to the kids who are glued in front of a computer. A computer is no longer like a prestige item, right? Like being glued in front of a computer all day is the 21st century equivalent of like being on a factory assembly line. Mm. It's the same impulse of rote, repetitive, disengaged, antisocial, right, interaction um, that is is really not good. Mm. Um, and 
I don't, I don't say that because I have great solutions or ideas. I think it is a trash set of options. All the, all the possibilities are bad. I am not a person who's going to come out and be like, I have a great proposal. Why won't everybody do what I think they should do? You know, it's all bad. I don't think kids should just, I mean, it's dangerous, physically dangerous for kids to go back to school right now. Right. And so my biggest learning from the pandemic is that I don't ever want to be in charge of anything because I don't know what the correct thing is to do. But I do see my job at, at least as being the person who's like, this is actually all bad. You heard it here first, folks. And then you, you heard it for the like 15th time this week here first, right. uh, folks. But I think it's where the historical analog thing comes in because, yes, things are all bad and all right. the choices are bad. People have been presented with some really shit choices in the past also and have made choices and have figured out how to move through it. And, uh, yeah, if we, you know, yes, there are unique circumstances, but like what I turn to for comfort is the feeling that we don't have to make everything up from scratch and we don't have to come up with the perfect silver bullet solution for everything. We can say like, Oh, this kid maybe needs this support. This kid maybe needs this support. We resource, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. Uh, that is what people have been doing this work have been advocating. Yeah. I agree with you, but almost from the opposite direction, which is that I think we've actually never done this well at scale, at the scale that it needs to be done right now is, I actually think, like, historically unprecedented. Mm. And so I You mean think in regard to education how, specifically? I, I mean, I think in general, but, I, uh, but I'm not qualified to say that in as, like, extreme a way. But, like, I am hard-pressed to think of another time in the United States since the, since the onset of compulsory schooling mm. – where we said like, right. So, I mean, this is, I'm trying not to go on a long tangent, but basically like we haven't always had compulsory schooling in the United States. And then once we had that and we said, okay, we're going to put all these kids in schools partially because of also moving to like latter stage capitalism where people are not able to be at home. They're leaving the workplace. They're not doing agriculture anymore. They're out of the house. And so we need a place to have all these kids. And we're also inventing the category of childhood and not just having kids be in factories all day. Just little grown right? So we get this... <laughs> No, that's what I mean. You you yeah. remember from school, it's like, you know, kids were in the factory getting their fingers cut off, right? And so, or like working the tilling the farm all day, tilling the soil all day. I just love the, you see the old paintings of families from like the 1860s and the kids just look like small adults, like the facial features look. No, that, I mean, they were, yeah. they were, the category of child didn't exist yet. It was like, you were a miniature adult. Right. And there are places in the United States where that's still the case, where kids are working as, as migrant laborers and, and, you know, moving around as, as the as the market demands. Mm -hmm. But once we invent that category of childhood and we say, OK, everybody has to go to school now, then after that, schools become this place where, you know, we're going to now locate all these social services. And since that has happened, I don't think there's ever been a time where we're going to say, Every every kid in the in the country is going to get that taken away at the same time, right? While also stripping away all of these other ancillary things like access to childcare and so on and so forth. And so I do think Daniel that I think the pieces and the tools we have precedent for. I think that the the thing is is that we are at an, this ideological fork in the road because in order to proceed. This country has to do something it has never done ever, to my mind, which is to say, we care <laughs> about everybody. I mean, when we talk about historical precedent, 
We have pieces of that from like the New Deal, right? But everybody wasn't included in the New Deal. We, you know, we have the premise of that in Reconstruction, which is then like rendered into this toothless failed enterprise. So if we were to take those ideas and to say, no, for real this time, actually everybody, we're going to throw everything we have at making sure everybody is taken care of, beginning with the little kids, right? Um, we could do that. And we see that happening all across the country in these little pockets, in these community spaces. But to do that at scale is something that is going to take a lot of um, creativity and political will uh, and like a radical ideological shift in a country that has incredible disregard for both poor people and children generally. And then like poor children, forget about it, right? Poor black children, forget about it. Yeah, that's that's my uh, as usual uplifting perspective. No, there was some like optimism sprinkled in there. Some like, <laughs> we can do this. We're doing it. We got some ideas where, you know, you started out saying you felt terrible. That didn't sound, sounded hard, but it didn't sound terrible. It's hard. It's hard and it's directly counter to everything that the, that America has ever been or done. And we may not ha have any solutions, but we at least have gotten so much better at talking about how bad it is. And so we could do that <laughs> very well. And I think that could be a guy. Do that forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we were able to name. Yeah. I say that jokingly because we're a podcast and I want people to listen to us talk. But I also think, you know, part of... Uh, in all of these systems, one of the things you named about is like this expanded accountability. I think that's one of the themes that like right. I'm taking into all of my work is that there has never been an accounting of the harm. Um, and I think one of the things you spoke towards is like accountability has been like driven around this notion of productivity, but like in the restorative right. framework, accountability is about healing and responding to harm. And there has never been a naming of look at all of this damage we have done to human beings and let's name that first and then from there try to do things about it. And so I think we're demanding that from the ground up. You're so, you know, it's funny that I've never thought about this until you said it. It's so ironic because accountability in movement spaces and in education mean almost exactly the opposite thing. <laughs> because in education, uh, accountability is like the most neoliberal buzzword. Mm. And so we consider like historians and people who study education policy, our current era of education is known as the era of accountability, mm. basically ever since No Child Left wow. Behind was passed in 2001. And what, but, but Basically, what is meant by accountability in that framework, right, is that the people at the grassroots are held accountable mm -hmm. through punishment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> through, and austerity. Right? And then Obama came along and through austerity. And Obama's big innovation was to to use the carrot instead of the stick. So instead of being held, you know, people at the grassroots being held accountable through punishment, he's like, we're going to hold them accountable through market incentives, right? And payment and competition. And so both of these from two different directions are like the absolute most neoliberal. It's such a, like the word accountability is so fraught. And I think that you're right. That is really about like, what would it look like if we pivoted that and, and had the opposite meaning? Um, I'm writing a journal article about this phrase, expanded accountability, so it'll be out like in 18 months. Yay. So, <laughs> no, it's going to be, it's going to take forever. <laughs> Academic publishing. The good news is people don't have to wait that long uh, to hear the wonderful conversations we have coming up in this suite. Uh, there you go. It's going to be so great. <laughs> Thank you uh, for, for being down to do this. We'll probably, I think we'll check in with you at the end of the suite just to kind of report back and share what we heard. Um, but, 
Yeah. Thank you for thank you for rocking with us and for being uh, a contributor to this education suite. Yeah. We're so grateful for this little teaser. Oh, I'm so honored that you guys asked me yeah. to do it. It's going to be and great. I, and as always, I love you dearly. And, and, and yeah, I, I love y'all so you. much. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you want people to <laughs> be paying attention to <laughs> in your in your work or in the ways you want to be found? Oh, I just want to say I love you both so much. And I'm so glad to be back on the show and to be uh collabing with you in this way and people should pay attention to the ongoing rise of fascism <laughs> keep your eyes i guess open. so yeah 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 <laughs> that's that's what i got you you're right that was that, that is terrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so let's uh let's go get out of here and go cry and freak out that'll be fun <laughs> Whew, i lost my son up um <laughs> Sorry, we're at Ergo. <laughs> Thank you, Damon. Thank we're you at Ergo Radio. I just, I just had a Damon. panic moment about the rise of fascism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Live on the Sorry. No, 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 it, if it makes you feel any better, it's rising at the same rate as it was 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Don't worry. It hasn't accelerated. Yeah, I was yeah, worried yeah. that you'd gotten like a notification. Like it's not doing one of these. I thought you this got like, like a push notification. The moment, it's a linear. This is like the moment when I learned no, it's a linear. who Betsy DeVos was. That's when I really got freaked out about fascism. It felt, it felt like metaphorical until like I, I heard her her story and figured out her game and this this po- no yeah. can we just tell that story can we just tell that story really quick uh which was it was like two or like two weeks after trump's inauguration and dame you and i were in la do you remember this mm-hmm. we were sitting up at the top of this hill uh this beautiful sunset over los angeles and i was talking about how fucked up this was and what it was going to be and you were like look you know we've dealt with you know, crazy Reagan and Nixon shit. and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, and I was like, fascist no, no, no. the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, Damon, you don't understand. They're fundamentalist evangelical Christians. <laughs> and and he went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like yeah. her brother was Blackwater. So like hearing like the mission of God, the Blackwater control of the national school system. That was when it got real for me at the top of the game. Uh, and yeah, at, at this at this point in the game, this post office thing is like, that, that that's pretty that's bad. overt fascism but you're not fascist you are <laughs> someone we love dearly and and um, this is the worst sign we, off we've thanks. ever done i love yeah, it yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah thanks, fascism David. is moving i don't we don't know how to be cheery we something. have a lot to you can just edit <laughs> yeah. it you'll just make it yeah. make it work yeah. Yeah. um we're at ergo radio i'm at ergo kiss i'm at damon underscore af and stay tuned for this education suite it's going to be really really exciting and much love to people Peace. Thanks, y'all. Peace. Education. Education.